am he as you are he and you are me and we are all together. Good Welcome to another episode of Convince Me. Uh, I am Andy Rutherford as always joined by Casey O'Rod, tonight's loser, and Mr. Bennett. Gentlemen, how's it going? Good, but if you continue to sing in the intros, we're going to lose what listeners we have. Both of them. <laughs> Bennett, how are you today, sir? I'm good. I'm glad you asked. How goes it tonight? It, it, it's going well. It's about to go better for me. Uh, probably not for Mr. Elrod, but because tonight, ladies and gentlemen, well, first, let me get all the shilling out of the way so we can really jump into this head on when we get there. First of all, today is when you're watching this on Facebook, uh, it's going to be Tuesday, July the 28th. If you're listening on a podcast, if you listen today, it comes out, it's going to be Wednesday, July 29th. July 31st, this Friday, is the deadline. Uh, we need you guys to go get us nominated because we will do something huge for you if we can get nominated. The instructions are on the Facebook page. Uh, if you're listening to this, haven't been to our Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash convince me show. Uh, the instructions to nominate us are there. Uh, if you follow uh, our page, share the post that I have on there, uh, and email us proof uh, that you nominated us, you will be entered uh, into our drawing for $50 in cool hard cash. Uh, it takes maybe two minutes of your time, probably not even that. Um, and if we can get nominated, we can do huge things for this show. Uh, so be sure to do that. Check us out on the socials. Uh, Facebook, I just told you. Twitter, at Convince Me Show. Uh, Instagram, Convince Me Show. Uh, YouTube, Convince Me Show. Uh, you can find us on all of those. Go make sure you find us, you follow us. Um, keep up with our stuff. Most importantly, make sure you're checking out the podcast. Even if you're watching on Facebook, make sure to go give the podcast a listen for just a little bit. Get our numbers up uh, so we can get some sponsors. If we get sponsors, we get money. We get money. Uh, we can actually put something more than just uh, blood, sweat, and tears uh, into making this show, uh, and we'll make it better for you guys. Um, am I missing anything in the shield department, gentlemen? We are everywhere. To sum it up, we are on all the socials. So We're not on TikTok. We're too old for TikTok. No, no, I'll, I'll do the TikTok. How about that? That'd be my okay. Well, actually, you would probably be pretty entertaining. Um, <laughs> not because you're meant to be. But anyway, all right, guys. Tonight or today, whenever you may be listening to this, it's the ultimate showdown. Uh, two Hall of Fame bands going head-to-head. -head. It's the Beatles versus the Rolling St No, it's not the Stones. Led Z No, not Led Zeppelin. Nirvana. Z <laughs> no, not Nirvana. Alice in Chains. It's not Clock the Who. <laughs> it's the Beatles versus the Eagles, which is a comparison we don't see very often. Mr. Elrod, would you mind enlightening uh, our listeners as to why this is even a topic? Because the Eagles are better, and you're going to, namely Bennett, is going to get convinced here in the next two hours or maybe two days depending on how long the show goes, as to why that is the case. This is a battle 
that we have been waging for nearly a decade, that we're finally going to get some insight tonight. But at least nine years, meaning you've had this ongoing debate, and it finally gets decided tonight. For those of you that don't know Mr. Elrod, Mr. Elrod spouts out crazy things sometimes. Uh, and when pressed to prove them or put some facts behind his claims, um, he's not always the best at doing that. I remember Mr. Elrod making a bold prediction several years ago that Florida Georgia Line were going to be a bigger country duo than Brooks and Dunn. I remember making that. I don't, I don't remember that. Everybody but you remembers that, Elrod. Um, and he's also made the claim that the Eagles were better than the Beatles. Well, tonight we are making him show us the facts, present his case, and he's going to be presenting that case to Mr. Bennett. Uh, Bennett, any uh, any thoughts from you before we get the show on the road? I feel very powerful. Like I have all the power to settle this 10-year, 9-year, whatever you call it, debate. This, yeah, this has been a big debate. And what it started out as a joke, but there's actually some facts to back this up. And I will show you here in a few minutes. Let's see. <laughs> All right, Ben, how are we determining who goes first? All right. Well, as you said, tonight we're going to be debating two musical juggernauts. One's named after a bird, one's named after an insect. No, we're not talking about counting crows versus Papa Roach. Tonight, we're going to be debating about their musical talent and their impact, and not so much on their name, luckily. Now, I was trying to think of a way to do this that would be fair. I think I have one. We'll see. Y'all go ahead and be getting a pen and paper for ready. I know you got them. Okay, so. There it is. Look at that. Prepared. So it's no secret that both of these bands have sold a ton of records, a ton of albums. And according to my map, which very well could be off because I actually had to copy off Mr. Rutherford in high school to pass math. Was that algebra two or geometry? Was, was it algebra two and geometry? Probably, which I've got a bone to pick about that because I can't I can't think how many times I've been sitting there bouncing the checkbook or filing my taxes or even mowing my yard and think, hmm, now this isosceles triangle here, if I do this, okay, perfect. I've I've never I've never used any of that junk. So why couldn't we maybe have an extra PE class or something instead of algebra two? What, yeah. what is that? Anywho, okay, according to my math, I have both of these bands down for a combined total of 30 studio albums, just studio albums. I think that's right. Yeah. That's what we're going to go with to make me look smart at least. So what I'm going to do is I have this random number generator here, if I can get it to, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, one through 30. I'm going to hit generate five times. Maybe. What is it doing? Okay. On the fifth time, whoever is closest to the number gets to choose. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. One through 30. Pick your number. Got it. Do we need to show it before you generate? 
No, I trust y'all. Okay. All right, here we go. One, ten. Second, nine. Twelve. Twenty-four. Last. Mm. Twenty-nine. Mm. Peyton Manning. Mickey Mantle. All right. Elrod, looks like you were close there. So, Mr. Rutt, you get to decide if you want to go for <laughs> Elrod. That's the only thing he's going to win tonight, so let him have that. Oh. If you want. I'm going to go first. Go first. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, before we get started, I just want to say that I think that both of these bands are great, great, great bands great artists and this actually should be a pretty close debate so i expect both of you guys to take it to the limit nah. i like it with, I like with that it. being said let's get right into it mr right. hear your opening argument so as he as right kind of alluded to earlier this has been a 10-year debate between us and it kind of started out as a joke admittedly but the more I've thought about this over the last decade, the more I think I'm right. You know, uh, I've been called a fool. I've been called crazy. Somebody even said I was going on, quote, a kamikaze mission wanting this topic tonight. But I'm here to tell you that that is because of the cult of the Beatles. That is the reason why that on the outside looking in, this doesn't look like a fair fight, but we're going to drill down tonight, to, and it's going to be crystal clear that even though the Eagles didn't have as many studio albums or even the same number, or even remotely the number of records sold, the quality of the music, the songs, the iconic songs, the the Eagles are the greatest American rock band of all time. I know that's going to draw a reaction from right, but the American rock band, the Eagles are the best. And my deal is I believe that they are the best rock band of all time. And we've got a bunch of subtopics tonight that's going to prove that. But the reason why their ability to transform their sound, to go from a country rock group to a hard rock group and still stay relevant and even improve over the decade in the seventies is what puts them over the top for me. They were, they were basically two bands, and they're equally as good. What other band can say that? So I want to ask you a question. This is taking a big risk, Bennett. We're going to talk about songs, but can you – this is a challenge for you. Can you name three other Beatles songs, not Hey Jude, Let It Be, or Come Together? Can you do it right now? Uh, I want to hold your hand. Um, revolution. Um, what's the three you said? Hey Jude. Let it be and come together. Can you name three other uh, beats? Yesterday. Okay, but it, it it didn't come off your tongue. Like you had to think about it for a minute. If I said Bennett, three Eagle songs, other than Hotel California and Desperado, what three come to mind? This may uh, start terribly for me. <laughs> 
But in order to win this tonight, I, I'm going to have to take Killer. some. Three Eagle songs. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? You said Hotel California? Yep, and Desperado. Desperado. Okay. And Take It Easy. You named three Beatles songs. We're going to name three Eagles songs. Uh, I was going to go with Take It Easy. Um, There's going to be a heartache tonight. Take it to the limit. I already used that one. I'm going to use it again. Um, this is not going as planned for me as I thought it would. Wait, wait. Um, I should know because I was actually listening to these bands this morning on the way to work. Me too. Uh, I don't know. Give me one more. Give me a hint. Give me a clue. Uh, I know there's a ton because I was actually we're surprised. Gonna talk, we're going to talk more about it here in a minute. But here is my promise to run. I promise to not to not make fun or disparage the Beatles. Okay? I promise you. I promise I will not attack the great value Beach Boys. I promise I won't do that. So, in honor of that, I'm going to convince you 100% tonight, Mr. Bennett, that the Eagles, not the Beatles, are the greatest band of the 60s and the 70s, and the Eagles are the greatest American rock band of all time. All right. I'm intrigued because I do like Eagles, the bird. So this might play in your favor. We'll see how it plays out tonight. Mr. Rutt, opening argument for the Beatles. Mr. Elrod stated a fact. I mean, not a fact, but it can be argued as a fact that the Eagles, you can make an argument, are the greatest American rock band because the Beatles are British. <laughs> but beyond that statement, Mr. Elrod, you can't hide your lion eyes. That's because it. there's another one. That's it. That's it. Um, yeah. That's, there it is. And as Bennett named the song title, there will be a heartache tonight, but it's not going to be uh, on this end because you have come in and twisted and shouted your words and brought in this huge cloud of crap but here comes the sun baby because the Beatles are the greatest most talented most influential band in the history of the world ever and here's the thing what do you look at when you compare two bands there are a lot of ways you can crack down on it. You can look at it. And if you look at them and say, which one do I like better? Which one do I prefer? Maybe it is the Eagles. I can't tell you who to like. And I will be completely transparent. You're not going to hear me say anything bad about the Eagles tonight because I'm an Eagles fan. And depending only in music, definitely not in football. But <laughs> – I want to get. I want to get audio on this. Out. I want to get audio. I'm an Eagles. And we're going to screenshot or whatever with that. We're going to use that. But so. anyway, depending on my mood and what day it is, I might like the Eagles better than the Beatles. But Bennett, when you're analyzing this tonight, I don't want you to look at who you prefer, because somebody might prefer the live version of the Black Crows over the Beatles. I don't know why anybody would prefer the live version of the Black Crows. Mr. Bennett has seen that train wreck. It was horrible. It was very horrible. Um, but the fact, okay, but you look at that, maybe there's a case for the Eagles because you like them better. And why not? They're a great band. They're fun to like. 
But if you look at any other way you compare two bands, whether you look at what the fans think, what the critics think, who made more money, who's made a lasting impact, any other way you stack, who's the most talented, any other way you stack these two bands against each other, and it's a no-brainer. And that's not disparaging the Eagles because we could have had that Beatles versus Rolling Stones argument or Led Zeppelin or The Who or any other band that's ever played, and the answer would be the same. Maybe they're not your favorite. Maybe you like other bands better. That's great. You're all entitled to our opinion. But by every other measurable over who's the best band of all time, period, it's the Fab Four from Liverpool. It's the Beatles. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Mr. Rutt, this is going to go to you first. Okay. Now, we both know about the Eagles. We know about the Beatles. We know they're huge, huge, massive stars. But tell me a little bit about their their beginnings. How were they formed? What's the members? Let's, let's get into some of the stuff maybe people don't know so much about. Well, it was 20 years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm going to break the world record on the show for most Beatles song titles. That You're halfway is, there. I'm getting there already. Um, but anyway, it's a little more than 20 years ago. Uh, we're going back to 1957 uh, when a 16-year-old John Lennon uh, formed a skiffle group uh, with some buddies he went to high school with uh, at Quarry Bank High School, and they were called the Quarry Men. Um, that was in March. In July, 16-year-old John Lennon met a 15-year-old man named Paul McCartney. Um, and from that moment on, they struck it up big. They, they became good, close friends. And in July, Paul McCartney joined the Quarrymen uh, as a rhythm guitarist. Uh, he pressed in 19 February of the next year. McCartney brought his friend George Harrison. Uh, to meet John Lennon and, and asked if he could be in the band. And at first Lennon said, no, he didn't like him, but, but Harrison didn't give up. McCartney kept pushing. And shortly thereafter, George Harrison becomes the lead guitarist of the Quarrymen. Well, eventually the other guys in the band, Lennon's high school friends, uh, they ended up not doing, they didn't want to do music anymore. So they left and John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison be, called themselves Johnny and the Moondogs, uh, which may be a cooler name than the Beatles. Much better name. Completely honest. Uh, but they were just a band with three guitar players. That was all that was in the band. Um, Len, John Lennon was in art school at this time. He graduated high school. He was in art school, much like our esteemed uh, judge here, Mr. Bennett. Uh, I don't think John Lennon went to NOSI, but he did go to art school. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> and he had a friend uh, in art school named Stuart, Scott, Stuart Scott Sutcliffe, um, who, while they were in school, made a painting, sold the painting, and used the money from buying from selling that painting to buy a bass guitar. And at that point, he joined um, John Paul and George, and they became, he, Stuart Sutcliffe, suggested the name The Beatles, B-E-A-T-A-L-S, 
uh, kind of as an homage to Buddy Holly and the Crickets, uh, who were a big-time band in the 50s here in the U.S. Um, so they end up getting a residency in Hamburg, Germany. They're going to go to Germany and play several shows, basically uh, in a red light district, uh, in a bar amidst brothels. Uh, they're going to go play in this district in Germany, uh, and they realized that they had four guitarists. They had three guitarists and a bass player, so they figured they'd better get a drummer. Uh, at that point, they auditioned, and they hire Mr. Pete Best. Uh, and that five, the Beatles, B-E-A-T-A-L-S, went to Hamburg, Germany. Uh, at some point after they got there, they changed their name to the Silver Beatles, uh, and change the spelling of Beatles to B-E-A-T-L-E-S. Uh, while they're in Hamburg, Sutcliffe decided he would rather for, go back to pursuing his art career. Uh, so he quit the band. Uh, bad mistake. Uh, and after he quit the band, um, they changed, they dropped the name, they dropped the silver from the name uh, and just became the Beatles. Well, they came back to the UK uh, and we're playing, and now what is kind of famous, the Cavern Club, uh, which was basically a club. And the stage looked like it was set uh, in the back of a cave um, in November of 61. While they're playing there, they meet Brian Epstein, who was a music critic uh, in the time. And a few months later, they wanted to hire him on as their manager. They do. Um, he became their manager, and he got them signed by George Martin, who became a huge part of the Beatles' legacy, uh, who was a producer at EMI. George Martin, after signing these guys, gets to listening and does not really a fan of Pete Best drumming. He doesn't think he's that good. Um, he, goes to the, he goes to the other guys, John, Paul, and George, and says, I don't really – I love you guys, but the drummer's got to go. Uh, and they were actually thinking about sacking Pete Best at that point themselves. Uh, so at that point, uh, they get rid of him, and they hire a guy named Mr. Ringo Starr, uh, who comes in. And uh, after Mr. Epstein got him out of some bad contracts, uh, they were supposed to go back to Omberg a bunch of times. They went a few more times. But he got him out of some bad contracts, and not long after they hired Mr. Ringo Starr, uh, they went into the studio at EMI uh, and produced a little tune called Love Me Do. Uh, and that song wasn't an immediate success. It, it topped out at number 17 on the charts. But because of that, they got their first uh, television exposure. They go back to the studio and cut an album, including a single called Please Please Me, and George Martin looked at him after they recorded Please Please Me, the single, and said, boys, I believe you just made your first number one. Turns out he was correct. And that's the start of the greatest band in the history mm. of the world. And we'll go into more of that uh, in the following parts. Mm. All right, Elrod. Tell me a little bit about the Eagles, how they came about. We could spend an entire show, more than a segment, we could spend a show or maybe even two shows, I think Rutt would agree with me, on the formation and really the history of the Eagles. 
if you have if anybody hasn't watched the history of the Eagles, it's a 2013 documentary, and just everything that went in to that is unbelievable. But they, I'll talk more about this later. The harmonies that this group had are unbelievable. But the dysfunction this band had is legendary. The story of the Eagles starts out in 1971 in Los Angeles. Uh, Linda Ronstadt was an artist, um, rock artist out that way. She recruited Glenn Fry and Don Henley to join her band. She was forming a band. And Glenn Fry and Don Henley really didn't want to play second fiddle to, to Linda. And she kind of knew that. So they go to her and basically say, you know, we're going to do one show, but we're going to go out and do our own thing after this one show at Disneyland. So they do one show with her, they go out and they realize, well, we need some more people. If we're going to be in a legitimate band, we're going to need a drum. We're going to need another rhythm guitarist. So what they go out and do, they go out and get a guy named Bernie Leiden, who is almost like a bluegrass type of singer. That's what really led to the sound of the Eagles the first three years. It's a basically a country rock group. You hear the mandolins, the violins, you hear that in the background. Then they go out and get Randy Mesner, who, who is a very underrated member of the Eagles. They go out and get him. What, I, what you didn't hear me say is Joe Walsh, he doesn't come along till four or five years later. Joe Walsh, a lot of people, when you say name an Eagle, the first name that comes out is Joe Walsh. He doesn't come out until later on in the decade. So they form a band. They're trying to come up with a name for the band. And they're throwing stuff off the wall. What's this band going to be called? And this is where <laughs> uh, Glenn Fraud, Don Henley, and the group, that you hear a lot of this in the documentary. But what they did, they went out in an abandoned desert out in California. And they had some peyote and they had some other drugs at the time, some maybe some tequila, and they were throwing names off the wall. What's this group going to be called? Uh, there's some conflicting things um, about how this group name came to be, but they were looking under the stars and someone saw an eagle and said, Eagles, Eagles. That is how the name Eagles came to be. Uh, it was they were all drunk, they were on drugs, and the rest is history. Now, of the original, we talked about the original members, and there's four. A couple years later, you have the person that really destroyed the group later on in the decade, Don Felder. I know Andy is not a fan of Mr. Felder, are you? Not a fan? No. I don't think anybody is but Don Felder. But Don Felder was a great rhythm guitarist. It was a double-edged sword bringing him on. They knew he had baggage. They knew that he was accustomed to causing a lot of drama. And when you have Don Henley, Don Henley was the brains behind the Eagles. He was a very smart man, but the muscle behind the Eagles was Glenn Fry. So Felder didn't really like the idea of being bossed around. So this was always a lot of tension between, between the group. We'll talk more about that later. Later on the decade, we have uh, we have Joe Walsh coming on board. But the original four Eagles were Don Henley, uh, Glenn Fry, Bernie Layden, and Randy Master. Uh, so that is 
how the group came to be, uh, really out of a mistake. They were <laughs> Glenn Fraud and Don Henley were going to be in this woman's band, but the, the woman knew early on, like, th these guys are really talented. They're not going to be around here very, very long with me. So they were with her for one performance. They go out, get drunk, get uh, <laughs> do drugs in the desert, come up with the Eagles, and the rest is history. We'll talk more about that later on. I appreciate how uh, scientific and well thought out that uh, their team went into. <laughs> okay, so, you know, probably <clears throat> there's some kids out in parents' garage somewhere right now you know, practicing, playing, and they're going to be the next big thing. It's true that they're out there, but they need that defining moment or they need that one song that just propels them and gets them into their start into superstardom. So, Elrod, I'll start with you. Tell me the breakout moment for the Eagles. Well, in 71, uh, they released a self-titled album, Eagles. Uh, and it was some bands. It takes a lot of time to be successful and, and get fame. And they had it early on, even though they didn't have any number one hits, which might surprise you. But they did have on their first album. They had "Take It Easy," a great Travis Tritt song. That's one point. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Um, "Peaceful, Easy Feeling," "Witchy Woman," uh, which were which was co-written by Leiden and Henley. One thing that you we, we, I described this earlier about how it has a very country sound to it. And that's how the first, first, I would say two and a half albums that the Eagles have very country, not very rock and roll. Um, we'll talk more about this later on, but a lot of country artists in the eighties and nineties really credit that early Eagles sound to how they got started out. That's the sound they wanted. Um, second album they have Desperado. Now Desperado is we'll talk more about the best songs between the Beatles and the Eagles later on. But the Desperado album is a great album. Desperado is one of the greatest songs of all time. But the problem is the, the, the second album did not have as much success commercially as the first. Uh, Leiden had a very prominent role on the album, but uh, it had lukewarm reviews. Um, this is where the band starts thinking, maybe we need to go more toward Led Zeppelin. Maybe we need to have a more harder tone, harder rock sound to uh, our group. Now, in Desperado, uh, we talked about that. We get to the third album, which is On the Run. This is where they bring Don Felder in. This is the, this is the Eagles that you know from the Hotel California album. You're seeing more rhythm guitars. You're seeing less... Uh, less harmonicas, less banjos. You're not seeing that sound anymore. But what really broke them out was that first Eagles album. Uh, there's no number ones until the third album, but the album was successful. It led to three of their greatest hits of all time. And that really sets the tone for the middle part of the decade in the 70s where you see Hotel California. And we will be talking about Hotel California a lot tonight. A lot. Is that going to be your Rocky? Yes, this is going to be worse than Rocky before it's all said and done. Right. All right, Brett, what about the Beatles? Where did they break out? Well, I said that 
they went to the studio to record that album of Please Please Me. And when they really recorded the single Please Please Me, uh, George Martin said, boys, I think you've just recorded your first number one hit. Um, what's crazy is that album, they wanted to do it as a live album from, which seems kind of strange, your first big album to be a live album from uh, the Cavern Club. But they got in there and started recording and George, the acoustics for recording it sucked. They were terrible. So the only way George Martin thought to give it kind of a live feel without having that venue, they recorded the Please Please Me album basically in one day in one city, like they were playing a live show. Um, and he said that he thought Please Please Me was going to be their first number one hit. Well, that single was released two months before the album came out. Um, and he was right. Please please, please, please me hit number one on every chart in the UK except for one, which was the record retailer where it hit number two. When the album came out, it immediately hit number one uh, on the album chart. Uh, their next single came out from Me To You, and that started a string of 17 consecutive British number one hits. Uh, for the Beatles, right out of the gate. Now, their commercial success that they had with this album got them uh, a lot of media exposure. And their attitude towards that media exposure, uh, they were kind of irreverent. They had a comical attitude towards it, and that really wasn't what you expected uh, from a pop artist in that time frame and garnered them even more interest and attention uh, in the UK and Beatlemania in the UK, as it was later dubbed, started right then and there. They went on tour. And when we think of a tour nowadays, what tours were like then were completely different. You had like six, seven, eight bands, six, seven, eight acts on a tour, and everybody was on stage for like 30 minutes. Uh, they traveled in groups. It's not like we think now. Right now we think a headliner, you know, they get two, maybe three hours. Your opening act gets 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Back then everybody got 30 minutes, but they still did it in a way where the bigger names went on last. Well, the Beatles were brand new. They just had one album out. And when American bands came to the UK, they were always the headliner. Well, the Beatles started out on a tour with um, – Tommy Rose and Chris Montez, who were American acts, who were supposed to be the headliners. By the end of that tour, the Beatles were the headliners. Two months later, they went on tour with Roy Orbison. By the end of that tour, the Beatles went from one of the supporting acts to the headliner over Roy Orbison in the early 60s. Now, a lot of you younger fans out there uh, have no idea who Roy Orbison is. Um, if you've seen the movie Waterboy, <laughs> his face is tattooed on the rear end uh, of, of the Fonz. I can't remember. Coach, Coach Klein, was that his name? Coach Klein. Coach Klein. Uh, but Roy Orbison, a big deal, but the Beatles, straight out of the gate, usurped him uh, as the headliner for that tour. Um that album, Please Please Me, was the number one album for 30 consecutive weeks in the UK and was only knocked off that number one spot 
by the Beatles' second album with the Beatles. Now, that was in the UK. The whole, that side of the pond is going crazy for the Beatles. Over here in America, not so much at this time because Capitol Records, who was EMI's subsidiary, I can't speak tonight. Capitol Records didn't want to put their music out. Um, They, a, a small record label named VJ got some of their songs through independent licensing deals and kind of got them out there, but not to a wide variety of people. This is the biggest band in the world over there, but over here, not many people have heard of the Beatles. Until a DJ named Carol James for an AM station in uh, Washington, D.C., got a copy of the British single, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and played it on the radio. Soon, and it took off. Soon after that, other DJs were playing recorded versions of that that they got from that radio station, taking a recorded version and playing it on their own radio station because the demand was so high. There was a deal for Capitol Records to put I Want to Hold Your Hand out, and they were forced to do it three months early to keep these radio stations from using their bootleg copies of it. Um, And from that point, they started picking up in the U.S. like crazy. When I Want to Hold Your Hand came out as a single, it sold a million copies almost instantly uh, and was the number one song in the United States two weeks later. Um, So that was in January um, of 63. February of 63, the Beatles come to America. Um, and they went on a little show called the Ed Sullivan show, which was bigger than any late night show we have now. Uh, it was a huge deal. And their appearance on this show is something that's well known by a lot of people. Even today, the Beatles appearance on the Ed Sullivan show, um, in February of 63 was watched by 73 million Americans in 23 million American homes, which roughly runs out, comes in out to 34% of the United States population. Over one third of the people in this country watched their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show that night. Uh, Beatles biographer Jonathan Gold wrote that according to the Nielsen Rating Service, it was the largest audience that had ever been recorded for a television program. Um, and, and this came at a weird time in America. This is, or excuse me, I said 63 earlier. This is early 1964. November of 1963, JFK was assassinated. And this country was down and out, bummed out. It, it was kind of a dark, depressing time, which we can kind of relate to now <laughs> um, in a sense. But the Beatles came here and turned that around. They reignited a sense of excitement. Uh, and a, then they reignited a sense of possibility uh, of, of happiness and helped make way uh, for the revolutionary social changes that were about to come within the next decade. Um, and this appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show and the way that Beatlemania took hold here opened the door uh, for British bands 
to come to the United States to play. And now it's infamously known uh, as the British Invasion. But guys, bands like the Dave Clark Five, the Animals, the Kinks, uh, and a little band called the Rolling Stones got their chance to come over here and play because of that appearance uh, on the Ed Sullivan Show. That was in February. By April of 1964, the Beatles had tailed 12 spots on the Billboard Top 100, including all five of the top five spots on the charts. So, uh, Beatlemania, you want to say breakout? That's probably the biggest breakout uh, in the history of music. Yeah, not, not, not too shabby. Not at all. Not too bad. Now, I, I did a little bit of research before this, and I was, I mean, I knew they sold a lot, but I was surprised about how many albums both these groups have sold. And I know they each have several, several different records or albums. So, Rudd, I'll start with you. Tell me about some of the biggest and some of the best albums for the Beatles. You know, when you look, especially now, and you look back at the albums the Beatles put out, it's hard to really pick one or two that you could say are their best <clears throat> uh, or are the biggest. Now, there's several that are in that running, but I've said before on the show that I like to go back and look. I like to go online, see what other people think. If we're doing an argument, I want to see, is there a, an opinion article on this versus this? Or if we're looking at stuff like this, like biggest, best albums, I want to go see a ranking of this. I want to see what critics think. I want to see what people think. And when you look at Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time that we talked about I talked about during the Michael Jackson episode with Thriller. But when you look at that list of the top five, now something I didn't do with the Michael Jackson episode, but I did with this one is look at who voted um, in that poll. And it, it's a who's who uh, of musicians, of historians, of critics, of writers people that know what they're talking about, the elite of musical knowledge um, are making these lists. And when you look at that Rolling Stones top 500 greatest albums of all time, three of the top five are Beatles albums. Four of the top 10 are Beatles albums. Five of the top 14 are Beatles albums. Okay, that's what the critics think. You look at Ranker. Ranker.com has a poll, and this is voted on by people. People get on there and click whether they want to raise it up or raise it down based on a people's choice. According to the Ranker poll of the greatest albums of all time, the first four spots are Beatles albums. Six of the top 11, 10 of the top 29. Uh, I looked at a couple other polls. There's a top 10s poll where the Beatles held two of the top three spots and three of the top five spots. Pop Vortex poll, they hold the top four spots and five of the top eight. The Beatles, are the when it comes to album sales, are the best-selling band of all time. I got on here a few episodes ago uh, on our episode that for some odd reason has exploded on YouTube, at least compared to our other ones, uh, in my Garth Brooks' argument when Elrod disputed me with the Elvis thing of who sold more between Garth and Elvis, 
that is what it is. But you know what's undisputed? Number one on that list uh, is the Beatles. Worldwide, they have sold 258 million albums. Um, the Eagles are very good. They're 10th on that list. They're top 10 in album sales, but they're at 125 million, less than half of what the Beatles have sold. When it comes to just the United States alone, the Beatles have sold 178 million albums, and the Eagles are fifth on that list uh, at 101 million. So the Eagles, highly successful, have done very well, but they're not, and nobody else is, the Beatles when it comes to albums. The Beatles have 19 Billboard number one albums. Now, some of those are compilation albums. So you can't take credit for all of them. And I'm nipping you in the bud right now, Elrod, before you hit oh, me. I'm going to take credit for one here in a minute, whether you like it or not. It's album. Um, but if we're looking at the best, it, it kind of comes down to preference. But I think kind of universally, some people will say Abbey Road. Some will say the White Album. I'm going to go back to the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Albums. And it's Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. This was the time where the Beatles quit touring, and we'll get more into that in a minute. It was the time after they quit touring and to solely focus on the music and before John Lennon and Paul McCartney wanted to kill each other. This was the sweet spot of their career. This, more really any way you look at it, is the peak of the Beatles, um, the Sgt. Pepper's album. Rolling Stone called it the most important rock and roll album ever made an unsurpassed adventure in concept, sound, songwriting, cover art, and studio technology by the greatest rock and roll group of all time. Uh, this was the evolution of their music. This album took over 700 hours to record. Um, they put everything they had in it. Um, the biographer, Mr. Gold, that I mentioned earlier, had a quote that said, the overwhelming consensus is that the Beatles had created a popular masterpiece, a rich, sustained, and overflowing work of collaborative genius whose bold ambition and startling originality dramatically enlarged the possibilities and raised the expectations of what the experience of listening to pop music on a record could be. On the basis of this perception, Sgt. Pepper became the catalyst for an explosion of mass enthusiasm for album formatted rock that would revolutionize both the aesthetics and the economics of the record business in ways that far outstripped the earlier pop explosions triggered by the Elvis phenomenon of 56 and the Beatlemania phenomenon in 1963. This album, the Beatles first albums before this and most pop music albums before this were all about singles. They were making songs that made singles. This was the first album that really not necessarily a concept album, but you know, I said in the Garth Brooks episode that Garth had his albums to be listened to in the order they were, because that's how they made sense. It was the essence of the album. That idea came from Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper sold 2.5 million copies in the first three months. Um, so that is critically their best album ever. Now, if you want to look at sales, it would have to be the wide album at 24 million copies. But so their biggest one's probably the wide album, but their best 
at least from a critical standpoint, is undoubtedly uh, Sergeant Pepper. Mm. You know, I was, was watching Elrod there a couple of points you made. He looks like he's got something he wants to say. He's chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bits. So, Mr. Elrod, tell me about the Eagles' biggest and best albums. Yeah, so before I talk about that, 23 studio albums for the Beatles, seven for the Eagles. So less than 70% less albums, but comparable sales. That's miraculous. I want to talk about real numbers, not really polls. Let's talk about real numbers. Let's talk about the best-selling albums of all time for a second. Who do you think has a best-selling album of all time, Sir Bennett? Mm, Hanson. Close. <laughs> <laughs> the Eagles, number one, their greatest hits album. This was their hits before Hotel California. So if you go out here and buy the best of the Eagles, that early 70s album, you're not going to see Hotel California on there. Who do you think has the third best-selling album of all time? Who do you think? The Eagles. The Eagles. And we're going to start out by talking about Hotel California. Now, you have to realize about the state of the band during the Hotel album. We had talked about a lot of dysfunction earlier. Hotel California features Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh finally comes over. He's an established guitarist during this time. They wanted to add a more hard rock sound to their band. They bring him on. They already have Don Felder. Don Felder and... Uh, and him, Joe Walsh, become the best guitar duo of all time during this album. I don't think there's any debate about that. This album led to the demise of the Eagles, and here's why. During them putting together the Hotel California album, uh, there's a lot of infighting, and it starts with Don Felder. Don Felder wanted a more of a role in, in singing in the band. The Eagles is more of a committee band. When you listen to an Eagles album, Don Henley is going to be the main one most of the time on the better songs. But then you'll have Glenn Fry. You may have Timi Timothy Schmidt who comes on later for those high notes um, songs. But for the most part, it's a committee band. But Don Felder wants to be the star of the show. He wants to sing Victim of Love. He wrote the song. He wants to sing Victim of Love. The band does not want Don Felder to sing this song. So what they do, they have some, they have a friend come and pick Don Felder up for lunch, take him for a long lunch, and they recorded Victim of Love without him. <laughs> so this starts the hatred with Don Felder and, and the rest of the group. And this also starts um, uh, not really the hatred, but the dislike with Randy Masner. Randy Masner was being forced out. Uh, he had had some health problems. He couldn't quite hit those high notes anymore. He had been replaced in Paco by Timothy Schmidt. And that's who they wanted to basically force him out and bring, and bring on Timothy Schmidt over uh, Masner. So in Knoxville, Masner's sick and tired of the whole thing. And he refuses to come out to sing Take It to the Limit. He's the only one in the band that can hit that note, and that was going to be the encore that night. So he tells Glenn Fry no. And Glenn Fry uh, proceeds to call him a female body part. 
And he did not like that. And he goes home and he quits the band. And then they bring Timothy Schmidt in. But uh, that's the backstory about what's going on right now. But Hotel California might be the greatest album of all time. In terms of the sales, it's number three. We know that. It's right behind Thriller. Thriller in Hotel California really went 1A, 1B on the sales, depending on the year. Uh, We'll talk more about the, uh, the greatest hits album they put out here in a minute. But... Hotel California. We know the title track. We're going to talk more about the song Hotel California here in a minute. But Bob Seger was asked in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, back when the Eagles first broke up, people really couldn't figure out. The stories had not got out yet why the best band of the 70s just broke up. Bob Seger was asked why this happened. And he had two words. It wasn't Don Felder. It was Hotel California. The success of this album is undeniable. The Eagles prided themselves on wanting to make the next album better than the one before it. The the strain on the relationships at home at this album, they were perfectionist. They, They never went home to see their families. The band members hated one another. This is a very toxic environment that they were in at this time, but they put out one of the best albums of all time. It won a Grammy for record of the year. It won for best arrangement of voices, uh, topped the charts. Now it ran into an album at the Grammys. You may have heard of it called Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. It did not win um, album of the year. But Rumors is one of the five best albums of all time. You look at any poll, it's up there. So it had the unfortunate uh, (laughs) place of being uh, nominated with that. Um, So you got Hotel California, which went 26 times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. Uh, Let's see here. Let's talk about my favorite album real quick. We talked about the one that had the most commercial success, but let's talk about one of these nights. One of these nights is the fourth album. This is the album where they finally start putting in that Led Zeppelin, that, that, that hard rock sound into the Eagles. You have one of these nights, you have Lion Eyes, Take It to the Limit. Uh, it won uh, the first Grammy for the Eagles uh, by a duo of group. Um, in terms of the collection of songs, I like this one the best. But there is no uh, escaping the fact that Hotel California is just iconic. But last but not least, I know Rhett's going to hammer me for this, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about the greatest hits compilation album that they put out. This is the reason they put it out. The the recording uh, company that they had at the time wanted them to put out an album because it had been about a year and a half. They were in a contract to do this. They were working on Hotel California, but they're like, screw it. Let's just go and bring a greatest hits album and let's let that satisfy their requirement. They put this out and this is the trajectory that this album went on. It became 12 times platinum, uh, it, uh, that w- was in 1990. It became 14 times platinum in 93, 22 times platinum in 95. Right now, 
the greatest hits album that the Eagles had in the early 70s is the most purchased album in the history of the world. No album comes before it. It doesn't include Hotel California, which I understand that because it came out before uh, the Hotel album, but it's just it's crazy to think that the Eagles have two of the three most purchased albums of all time. So that, my friend, is a prelude to what I will be talking about later. So you talk about how iconic the albums were. You touched on a little bit about the songs and the greatest hits. So if people are buying these albums, there has to be some pretty decent songs on these albums. So Mr. Elrod, I'll start with you. Tell me about some of the some of the better, some of the bigger songs on these albums. Well, I don't think there's any debate. I don't think Rut will even disagree with me on this, but the most iconic Eagles song is Hotel California. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not his favorite, but that's the, I mean, that's the one they're known for. Uh, Guitarist, which is a, a magazine, uh, rates Hotel California as the having the best guitar solos of all time in any song that dueling guitar sound that it has in that song makes it probably the most recognizable song of all time um when you hear that opening to hotel california you know what that song is without any word you know the song um now this song has took a lot of heat over the years because people really don't know what the crap it's about. <laughs> you have one. <laughs> I, I see what he's saying. Some people think this is a song about Satanism. Oh, now, huh? That's what that's what it sounded like. I said LSD. <laughs> LSD. Well, some people say it's about a trip on drugs, which is probably my vote that's probably Rutt's vote too mm -hmm. some people think it's about the church of satan there's a lot of you know, comparisons that people have made to different parts of the song where it's like this is a song about worship and satan glenn from don henley have came out and said that's ludicrous it's it's pretty been disproven but there's still a lot of people today that thinks a hotel california is a song about uh worship and satan which is not the case um Rolling Stone magazine has voted this song 49 on, the, uh, on their 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, it was one of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 50 or 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Uh, it made the Eagles. Um, in terms of what the song was about, we talked about that. But Glenn Fry just said it's a it's it's a song about an unfamiliar rural setting where one is unsure about what he is experiencing, and I think that it's LSD. translated LSD. <laughs> <laughs> now Don Henley was asked about what the song meant, and he takes a more um, what's the word I'm looking for more uh, <laughs> literary take. He says it's a classical theme of conflict about darkness, light, good and evil, youth and age, spiritual versus the secular. I guess you can say it's a song about innocence. And that kind of foreshadows one of his solo hits. But <laughs> that is generally what the song, uh, I mean, that's how they came up with their name. And if you watch the documentary, that's pretty much how they came up with Hotel California. Too. They were experiencing with drugs. It was early 70s in America. This is right after the sick. 69, 70. This is right around the time where drugs are big. 
We talked. I've but I have rammed home. This is my Rocky Hotel California. But let's talk about other songs that they put out. And this is where I think that the Eagles' songs are more iconic and recognizable than the Beatles. This is the test I was giving you earlier. I was hoping you would name three Eagles songs off the bat and struggle on the Beatles, but you didn't. But that's okay. Shame on me because they were in the back of my head too. <laughs> let's talk about other songs that the Eagles have put out. Desperado, great Clint Black song. Great, great Clint. One Black. point. One point. Minus seventeen points. <laughs> you like Desperado? I like Don Henley singing Desperado. <laughs> What's wrong with Clint Black? Well, Clint Black. He don't need to be singing Desperado. A few days well, ago, I heard Trisha Yearwood singing Desperado, and about threw my phone. <laughs> well. Besides that, Desperado is probably one B to Hotel California in terms of recognizable Eagle songs. It's one of the 500 greatest songs of all time from Rolling Stone. Uh, it was voted uh, no, the number two Eagle song by Rolling Stone readers. Uh, it was um, <laughs> it was voted the best Western song of all time, which I thought was kind of odd. It does have a Western feel to it. But when you look at Desperado, you look at uh, Cal uh, Hotel California, the first hit they had was Take It Easy, but it only got to 12 on the charts. Uh, peaceful, easy feeling, already gone, the long run, one of these nights, best of my life, new kid in town, heartache tonight, my second favorite Eagles song, I can't tell you why, very underrated Eagles song, Life in the Fast Lane, the long run. Goes on, Lion Eyes, Already Gone, Seven Bridges Road, Love Will Keep Us Alive. I'm going to make someone mad because I probably left one out. It's going to be kind of like that Marvel episode that we won't uh, discuss. But um, I probably left one out. But the Eagles just keep churning out hit after hit after hit. The problem is they broke up um, at the turn of um, late 70s, early 80s. We really don't know... If they had put out 23 studio albums like the Beatles, we don't know where the, the hits total would be. We don't know. Um, we don't know how many albums they could have sold. We don't know. It's kind of the great what if. If the Beatles hadn't been, if the Eagles had not been so, you know, conflict, conflicted all the time at each other's throats, there hadn't have been this tick for tack with Don Felder, where would they have been? But regardless, if you, if you look at just the sheer number of hits, if you look at the albums, if you look at Hotel California being the most iconic rock song of all time. I know a lot of people are going to say Stairway to Heaven is the most iconic rock song of all time is Hotel California. And there's no argument to the contrary. Is there, Andy? Yes, there is. <laughs> Why don't you tell me a little bit then, Mr. Rich? You want to say that the sheer number of singles by the Eagles. How many number ones did the Eagles have, Mr. Elrod? Seven. Seven. Well, the Beatles had a few more than seven. 23 albums. I would hope so. They had 13 studio albums, doofus. No, the Beatles, sir. The Beatles had 13 studio albums. Now, some of those 
count got counted as a different album when it came over to Capitol Records, but that's a big convoluted legal mess that we're not going to get into on this show because we don't have enough time. <laughs> but in reality, when you look at their catalog, they have 13 studio albums. Who um, owns a catalog now? Do what? Who owns a big Beatles catalog now? I think McCartney got it back after Michael Jackson died. That's another. That's an interesting story itself. That's another legal convoluted mess we're not going to get into. Um, so they had less than double the amount of studio albums. They had more than double the amount of number one hits. As a matter of fact, the Beatles hold the record for most number one hits on the Billboard charts with 20. Uh, 20 top 100 number one hits. Uh, and Elrod says that Eagles songs, and don't get me wrong, I love the Eagles. Those songs are iconic to me. But as far as a wide-ranging audience, I think the more iconic songs are songs like Hey Jude, Come Together, I Want to Hold Your Hand, She Loves You, Let It Be, Love Me Do, Help, that's been on 37,000 commercials since it came out, uh, A Hard Day's Night, We Can Work It Out, Get Back, All You Need Is Love, Yesterday, Ticket to Ride, Hello Goodbye, I Feel Fine, The Long and Winding Road, which is what this list is, Penny Lane, Can't Buy Me Love, Paperback Rider, and Eight Days a Week. Those are just the Beatles' number ones. Um, when you say what's the best, I mean, it, that comes down to preference as well. Hey Jude was on the charts longer than any of the rest of them at 19 weeks. Uh, so you might could say that's the best. Really, what's the best? Whatever you want it to be. Uh, but the fact is the best is in there, uh, turning out 20 uh, number one hits. We want to say my favorite. Uh, my favorite is kind of one song, and it's kind of eight. Um, the B-side of Abbey Road. Uh, and when Abbey Road, it was the last album that the Beatles recorded. It wasn't the last album they put out, but it was the last one that they recorded. Um, and, and Paul and John weren't speaking. They were all in the studio at different times together. Um, they were never in the studio together, but really the compromise they came up with, John did side A of Abbey Road, McCartney did side B. And the last half, of side B is listed on your track listings as eight songs. When in reality, it's one long 16 minute song. Uh, it was McCartney's genius idea of putting a medley together. And when you look at those last three songs in that medley is what Paul McCartney still closes his concerts with today. Um, but it's that trio of golden slumbers, carry that weight and the end. Um, one of the most beautiful music compositions uh, put together. My personal favorite uh, kind of Beatles, if you want to narrow it down to a song, but there, there's tons more. There are tons that weren't in this list uh, of, of number ones that are iconic. Um, I'm the Walrus. Uh, saw her standing there. Love Me Do wasn't a number one hit, uh, which is crazy. But if you want to look at singles, uh, Beatles were king. They had more number ones than anybody ever. I'll tell you, one of my favorite Beatles songs, and it was actually inspired by a little fellow named Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh, yes. 
You had John Lennon on the Dick Cavett show. And Mr. Forrest Gump was also. He just came back from Vietnam. And he's on the show. And they're talking to Forrest. And Forrest goes, well, in the land of China, people don't have hardly anything. And Mr. Lennon says, no possessions? And he said, also, they hardly ever go to church. He said, no religion, too? And uh, Mr. Cavett says, mm, it's, it's hard to imagine. And John Lennon goes, oh, it's, it's easy if you try, Dick. And I think after that show, John Lennon was inspired by that and came up with the lyrics for Imagine. It's a true story. Point for Bennett. One point for me, Forrest Gump. Bennett wins. So thank you, Forrest Gump, for that song. <laughs> All right, back on track. Uh, right, you you've talked about this a couple of times, a little bit. Tell me about the Beatles' live performances, or maybe even the lack thereof. Bennett, we've been to a lot of concerts together, you and I. Um, I've been to a lot of concerts in my life, period. But when we go to concerts, we go because we like the music. Uh, whatever the band is playing, unless the Black Crows. Uh, Dave Matthews. We had band. no choice. Dave Matthews. I hated the Black Crows live. Bands I loved on album and sucked live. Black Crows. Um, Dave Matthews band was not that good. Steely Dan was not good. Um, remember Puddle of Mud, Bennett? They were awful. Uh, anyway, I'm I remember going, that. I'm going down a rabbit hole here. Horrible night. But anyway, we want we go because we want to listen to the music and enjoy it. And because of that, I assume that we would have hated a Beatles concert because this is the height of Beatlemania. The Beatles come to the United States, and they only toured the United States three times three tours but if you were there the scene was like this the band was on stage singing and playing and you couldn't hear them over the sound of screaming prepubescent girls literally they did not make speakers big enough loud enough to drown out the screaming of the fans the reason the Beatles hated touring is because they couldn't hear. This was before we had, you know, the earpieces. They couldn't hear their own music over the screaming of the girls. The arenas, it was especially bad in arenas, but it was also bad uh, in outdoor venues. What do you smell when you go to a concert? You smell food or the guy next to you's beer or whatever it may be. You know what you smelled at a Beatles concert? urine pee because girls were so excited they wet themselves it was a common occurrence for a strong smell of urine uh at beatles shows so you couldn't hear the music smelled like piss doesn't sound like a fun experience to me but that's what a beatles show was like but they sold out everywhere they went uh all these prepubescent girls were going crazy because while they were touring when they were still doing very much the poppy thing uh, where they made singles for the radio 
and, and really appealed more to the teenage girls at that time than anybody else. Now, eventually, uh, they went far beyond that. Uh, but probably their biggest show uh, was Shea Stadium, home of the New York Knickerbockers. Not Knickerbockers, Metropolitans. I should be shot. You should but anyway, be shot. Apparently, I've been told I never got to go to Shea Stadium, but I'm told the smell of piss never left after this. Show. <laughs> um, but the Beatles sold 55,000 tickets in 17 minutes in the 60s. People weren't buying tickets online. I don't even know if you could call and order tickets uh, in the 60s. I may be wrong on that, but for the most part, it was walk up. Uh, at different ticketing outlets, and, and maybe at the venue itself. They sold 55,000 tickets in 17 minutes uh, in the 60s. Uh, that was their first show with their 1965 tour. Um, of course, their last show uh, was in 1966 at Candlestick Park, which was home of my favorite, uh, San Francisco 49ers at the time which I've never been there either, but heard it also smelled like piss. Uh, but um, they only toured for three years. They couldn't stand it. They couldn't hear themselves. By this point, they were wanting to get – they were want, wanting to expand their music. Um, so after after 66, they stopped touring and then hit the studio hard, and then that's when they came out with Sgt. Pepper. But as far as a great live show experience – Elrod's not said a word yet, but he wins this point because it sounds like if I went to a Beatles show, I would have an awful time. <laughs> Elrod? I just won the point. How about that? <laughs> not, not being shut out tonight. <laughs> well, contrary to Mr. Rod and his Beatles, you would have a good time at an Eagles show, and here's why. Uh, or here's some facts before we get into that. The Eagles were the first American rock group to consistently sell out large arenas. They were the first one. Uh, they were the, this is an unfortunate fact about the Eagles. They were the first group to charge more than $100 for a ticket. So these high ticket prices you can thank the Eagles for. Now, they were an American rock group, so they're capitalist. They did that because people paid. People would, you put a $100 ticket out, they're going to pay for it. They want to see the Eagles. The Rolling Stones um, had a poll a while back, 50 greatest concert events of all time. And the Eagles were one of them. This was the Hotel California tour. Talked about how the you don't see this with a lot of artists and bands, how what you hear in the studio doesn't translate to the concert. A lot of people are like that. But the Eagles are different. The original Eagles shows in the 70s sounded just like their studio stuff. Uh, they were perfectionists. They want the same experience at the concert to be what you paid money for, for for the CD. That's what they want. Now, all this harmony on stage that you see from the crowd is not really taking place behind the scenes because in this same tour were, was the incident I talked about earlier with Glenn Fry and Mr. Masner about him calling him a female body part because he didn't want to sing uh, Take It to the Limit. Another famous scene from an Eagles concert uh, took place later on um, with Don Felder. 
Now, Glenn Fry and Don Felder hated one another more than anybody can hate anybody. And toward the end of one of their shows, Don, uh, Glenn Fry let it be known that he was going to kick Mr. Felder in the buttocks. But he didn't say buttocks. So what he did, you know how Garth Brooks, if you ever went to a Garth Brooks show, he does like, he, he counts like how good the crowd is. And it's usually a number. Now, Glenn Fry was doing the same thing. But he was doing it to Don Felder. What he was doing, he was counting down the songs till he got to kick him in the butt. And he did that after the show backstage. So all this harmony, this perfect harmony you hear on stage, not really taking place behind the stage. Um, we talked about how at a live show, no one member of the Eagles dominates. You're going to hear different voices. You're not going to hear uh, Don Henley all night. You're going to hear, hear Glenn Frey all night. Uh, there was a good quote uh, when, in terms of live performances. Somebody had a quote that said, the Eagles were the first concert that you could have the school teacher at the concert. And then you could also have the person she put in detention at the same concert. And they would still enjoy the same show because they were such a, a art. They were a band that appealed to the masses. It appealed to the baby boomers. It appealed to, the Eagles accomplished the impossible. It brought the baby boomers and their sons and daughters together at the same show. And they like the same music. That's never happened before until the Eagles. So the Eagles can bring world peace if we let them. That's, that's my argument. So, so much dysfunction with the band, but no band is more synonymous with the harmonies on stage and has such a good show. Now, the Eagles you see today, we really haven't talked about this. That Vince Gill is in the Eagles today. I love Vince Gill. He ain't Glenn Fry. He ain't. He he just ain't. He's kind of out of place in the Eagles today. They're still touring today. That's one thing. The Beatles long quit. I mean, uh, we haven't really talked about what happened um, to uh, uh, one of their members being shot. Um, Eagles they lose Fry. They replaced him with his son, which his son sounds a little bit like him. He's he's not his father. The, the Eagles today puts on a good show. Their ticket prices are still <laughs> through the roof if you want to see a show. But it's not really the same anymore. It's still a good show. Uh, but you don't really have the hatred anymore that you had with uh, the original band members. Because Felder's gone. Because <laughs> Felder's gone. Life is great. <laughs> All right, this right here is a very important topic and could possibly play into my deciding vote when we get to it. So I'm going to start with Mr. Rutt. I'm looking for what kind of impacts they've had in music or any other aspects like pop culture and what kind of legacy that the Beatles left. Then I'm going to give you a list of names. The Beach Boys, The Birds, Black Sabbath, Kiss, Nirvana, Oasis, Billy Joel, Lady Gaga, Aerosmith, Maroon 5, Queen, Tom Petty, 
and Eagles member Joe Walsh. Do you know what all these acts have in common? Mm. They have all directly attributed one of, if not their biggest influence, was the Beatles. Jimmy Page, legendary guitarist for a, a, a little band called Led Zeppelin, said if it weren't for the Beatles, there wouldn't be anyone like us around. A guy you might have heard of, Dave Grohl, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, quoted as saying, if it weren't for the Beatles, I wouldn't be a musician. And then someone that I'm a huge fan of, one Mr. Alice Cooper, is quoted as saying, everyone was influenced by someone, but everyone was influenced by the Beatles. The Beatles are the most influential band in the history of music. There, you can say if it wasn't for this, there wouldn't be this. A lot in a lot of different aspects. If it wasn't for the Beatles, music today as we've known it, who knows where it is? Maybe somebody comes along and does what they, they did. Maybe they don't. Maybe every bit of music today we have, whether good or bad, can be traced back through some sort of six degrees of, six degrees of separation to the Beatles. The Beatles are the, their songs. We want to talk about how iconic their songs are. They are the most covered band of all time of other artists covering their songs. As a matter of fact, as of 2014, their songs had been covered 2,710 times. Number two on that list was Bob Dylan at 608. Yesterday is the most covered song of all time. Alone producing over 1,600 covers. Beatles songs have been covered by Ray Charles, Al Green, Jimi Hendrix, Joe Cocker, Stevie Wonder, Oasis, The Rolling Stones, The Beach Boys, David Bowie, Elrod's Boys, U2, Nirvana, Styx, Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam did a cover song, everybody. The world is shocked. Tom Petty, Elton John, Prince, Aerosmith, Billy Joel, just to name a few. They changed not just music. They changed music. That's an undisputable, undeniable fact. They changed what music was. They changed what music would become. They changed what pop culture was in the 60s. The Beatles' hairstyle became a thing because of the Beatles. Uh, their haircuts, their clothing styles, what they wore, their attitudes. A lot of the hippie movement can be attributed to the peaceful notions of the Beatles. Time Magazine ranked them collectively as the top in the top 100 most influential people of the 20th century. Musically, it's undeniable, and maybe in general, 
there's an argument to be made beyond music. The Beatles are the most influential maybe entity ever, but no doubt musically they're the most influential band in the history of music. What else do we look at when we compare one band to another? We look at talent. Now, I know what I think sounds good. You know what you think sounds good. But none of the three of us are, are musical savants in the sense of how hard it is to do something, how talented it, you have to be to hit that guitar lick, whatever it may be. But there are people that are experts in that field. Now, you know I have an affinity when we're talking music to look at Rolling Stone because Rolling Stone magazine, are they know music, and they do polls all the time, but their polls aren't fan voted. They're voted on by people that know what they're talking about, far beyond what any of us do. I'm not going to sit here and even pretend to tell you what the Beatles did as far as producing albums, as far as their songwriting, as far as their technical abilities but I'm gonna let the collection that Rolling Stone used of people that know what they're talking about tell you. Because the Beatles are the most talented band of all time. Rolling Stone had a list of the top songwriters of all time. Number two and number three on that list, Lennon McCartney, topped only by Bob Dylan at number one. Um, Top singers of all time, vocalists ever. John Lennon, number five, Paul McCartney, number 11. Best guitarist of all time, number 11, George Harrison, number 55, John Lennon. Best bass player of all time, number nine, Paul McCartney. And the weak link of the Beatles, best drummers of all time, Ringo came in at number 14. The only, and this is no offense, I love the Eagles, but as far, the only Eagle that topped a Beatle on this list, I said on guitarist, Harrison was 11, Lennon was 55, Joe Walsh was 54. Um, and I worship the ground Joe Walsh walks on. Uh, but when we're looking at a collection top to bottom of talent, it's not touched. Maybe you make an argument for a Led Zeppelin because they had a Jimmy Page and a John Bonham uh, and a Robert Plant. Maybe there's an argument for the Who when you've got Keith Moon and you've got John Entwistle. But in most arguments, and especially this one, when it comes to talent, there's not a more talented band that's ever graced the earth. It's the Beatles. And without a doubt, there's no more influential band, and there's no band that had a bigger impact, not only on music, but probably the world, than the Fab Four of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. The Beatles. Hmm. Check is in the mail, Andy. The Beatles are sending you a check for that promo. I wish. <laughs> Well, if I could talk about the Eagles, about the legacy and the impact, I would say far-reaching. And here's why I would say that. Uh, before the Eagles, there was a thought that a big rock band could not have a singing drummer. Don Henley, drummer, also a vocalist. Before the Eagles, that was the, no one ever even considered that. Don Henley changed the game. He also changed it for Phil Collins. Phil Collins 
later on says that, you know, Don Henley changed the game for him, made him relevant. Uh, the Eagles provided the blueprint for country music. We talked about this earlier in the 80s and 90s, which is kind of odd. You, you, you don't really associate the Eagles with country music, but a lot of country artists say that that early Eagles sound influenced what they did in the early 90s, late 80s. Garth Brooks, Tim McGraw, Brad Paisley, countless other country stars talk about the influence the Eagles had on them. And this led to the 1993 uh, album, Common Thread, which Travis Tritt, he, great, great. That's great. I love bringing that up, seeing the look on Andy's face. That has made my decade. <laughs> Each time we bring up this argument, I always have to bring up, it's a great Travis Tritt song. So uh, there you go, Andy. Um, Vince Gill. We talked about this earlier. The Eagles, just they cross different demographic lines. They Usually baby boomers and their sons and daughters don't agree on anything. They don't agree on what to eat. They don't agree on shows to watch. But the Eagles, Eagles can be our age. We're Eagles fans. Our parents love the Eagles. Uh, they provide that commonality. When you look at other artists, such as Hank Jr., Leonard Skinner, all of them equate the sound of the Eagles in some way, shape, or fashion has influenced their sound. Uh, so another example of this far-reaching effect. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to make the argument that the Eagles are more influential than the Beatles. That is a losing argument. But well, what I will say is I think that the influence of the Eagles is underrated. A lot of people don't equate the Eagles in terms of being an influential band on uh, folks and uh, especially country artists, but they certainly do. If you look at the quotes from these different artists, and especially we talked about Phil Collins, um, the Eagles broke up and there's a famous quote from Don Henley that said, hell would freeze over before we ever got back together again. And it did, apparently, because they got back together. And, and after this country album that was put out in 1993, they got back together. Uh, they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then they thought it would be a good idea to bring Mr. Felder back. And some hatred never dies, I think, is the right statement here, because he goes back and him and... Mr. Fry rekindled their own hatred for one another. And it got so bad that there was a lawsuit. He got kicked out of the band. Felder gets kicked out. Felder goes and sues the Eagles and each member individually. And this is where I want to say Don Felder is a terrible human being because he has robbed America of at least 15 more years of the Eagles. Uh, he robbed them in the 80s. He robbed them the, uh, for some of the 90s. And he's just a terrible person. So if he's watching this podcast out there, I am Team Henley, Team Fry all the way. I wish they never had picked you. You ruined the Eagles. But you cannot deny, besides all that said, you cannot deny the far-reaching effects that this group has had on American music. Do, don't we agree? We, we're debating a lot. We're, we're trashing each other, but we agree that Don Felder's a terrible human being. Yep. Yep, there we go. I've seen I knew we were on common ground. 
I've paid money to Don Felder. I'm not proud what? of it. I saw him in concert. Why? Because he opened Ferrario Speedwagon and Sticks. <laughs> I've also seen the Eagles in concert, and I enjoyed them much more than I enjoyed Don Felder. You see the new Eagles or the old Eagles? I saw Glenn Fry. <laughs> I saw the Eagles. Not what calls themselves the Eagles now. Yeah, yeah. fake news. Here's the thing. Vince Gill is okay. Uh, uh, Vince Gill, he's a fit if you're looking for a fit. But there's he doesn't fit because nobody fits. No. De- Deacon Fry, pretty dang good. Probably as close to their daddies he's, they can find. But he's not his daddy. No. All right. We haven't argued enough in this episode. I know. I really haven't. I we will. Been, it's coming. Very nice. It's coming. All right. I, was, I wasn't going to do a question, but I feel like I have to ask this question. And it's going to be the same question for both of y'all. I'll start with Elrod first. Mm-hmm. Take it easy. Do you prefer the Eagles or Travis Tritt? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, it's got to be T-R-O-U-V-L-E. I'm just kidding. You got to go with the Eagles. I I kid a lot, but we all know the Eagles version is better, even though the Travis Tritt version is very underrated, I must say. Even though Rutt hates it, poo-poos it, it's a good version. Desperado is a great Clint Black song. It is. Do you even want to weigh in on this or no? This is where the argument's going to start right here. I can see the blood boiling right now. I can see it. You know, let me let me tell you one thing first, real quick. I was way older than I should have been before I realized that that was not actually a Travis Tritt song. I was like, man, this is a good song. Way to go, Travis Tritt. It took it took me a while to figure that one out. Embarrassingly enough. Typically, I'm not a fan of cover songs in general. There are exceptions to that rule. Um, that said, Travis Tritt, I like his stuff. Don't touch the Eagles. Clint Black, uh, I like his stuff. Desperado, quite possibly my favorite song of all time. Whoa! Whoa! It is. I mean, I'm an Eagles fan. I said that from the beginning. Desperado, and I'm not saying Desperado is better than these Beatles songs, but I'm saying it's probably my favorite song of all time. I think it's one of the most beautifully written songs uh, ever. There we go. When it's sang by the man who wrote it, Don Henley. I love Clint Black, but stay away. (laughs) I don't know what it. No. Almost as bad as Carrie Underwood singing Home Sweet Home. And I'm not even going into that right now. <laughs> I want to see Rutt's head spin off. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's not. Uh, all right. Um, Mr. Elrod, I think yeah. you're up first. I think you won the toss or yeah. the random number generator, I guess, not coin toss. All right. Closing arguments. What you got? Minute. If you decide this to not on albums sold, I lose. If you decide this on which band was more popular, I lose. Yes. 
you decide this on who is more influential, I lose. But here is what I want you to be reminded of. A few weeks ago, we had a debate on this show, and it was George Strait versus Garth Brooks. Do you remember me making the argument that um, George Strait was more influential? You remember that? Mm-hmm. It's probably true. Do you re- remember me making the argument that George Strait had three times as many number one hits as Garth Brooks? Remember that? And that, that is true. Brett is making these same arguments, these same arguments in reverse tonight for the Beatles. This is what this is the trick I want you to see him down there. This is the trick that he's trying to pull. This is like this is like a line going in a sheep pen tonight. He's trying to to hide. He, this is he's trying to make you look at this through rose colored glasses, trying to hide all the truth. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he, he's, he like that. that. Uh, you better give your uh, cite your source there to Mr. Willoughby. Yeah, there you go. He's you gotta look, He's trying to make you look at this through rose-colored glasses. If you decide, you got to look at the as a whole. You got to look at the Eagles, the songs. You got to look at the albums. Look at Hotel California, the most imp- the best song of all time in, in terms of rock. I don't think there's any debate on that. I know Rutt's going to disagree with me, but he can. I don't really care. Look at the number of studio albums compared to the Beatles. A lot less. Still comparable album sales, though. Look at that. I expect tonight the same treatment that you ditched out on me way back on the Garth debate. When I made those arguments, you struck them down, you gave it to Garth. So tonight, justice is coming. Justice. I want to make one final plea. Paul is dead. We all know that Paul McCartney it died in 1967 or 8. <laughs> he didn't think I was going to bring this out. The Paul McCartney you see with the Beatles today is not the real Paul McCartney. He hasn't even talked about that tonight. He died. You don't know this? <laughs> Keep going. This, 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 I want him to explain this to you he, because he has not talked about this tonight. Paul McCartney is dead, and there's strong evidence to that effect. I, but besides all that, I want you to look at this on a per capita basis. We know that uh, the, the Eagles did not put out as many studio albums as the Beatles. We know that. But two of their albums are in the top three sold albums of all time. I know he's going to try to say that's the greatest hits, and that doesn't count, but it's the truth. you got to look at the truth on this. This has been a big debate between me and Sir Runt for 10 years. And tonight, you have the power. You have the power. Remember that face that Rutt made a few weeks ago? We're in the Austin Powers. If you haven't watched her show, go back and watch the Austin Powers episode especially the YouTube video. And look at the reaction of his face during the last five minutes where he thinks he's got the victory and he snatch it from it. Tonight, if you give me the victory tonight, you will, 
I don't think we'll have to commit him tonight if you allow me to win because he is so headstrong that he's going to win this argument tonight. But you've looked at the facts. You remember the Garth Brooks episode where he tried to make different arguments. You see the truth. You know that Hotel California cannot be touched by anything the Beatles has ever put out. Not be touched. You know the truth. You know what the right decision is. And I am 100% sure that you'll pick the Eagles over the Beatles tonight. That's it. A very interesting points for sure. Mr. Rutt, finish this up. Here's the thing. I want to talk about the Eagles widespread. They bring mom, they bring parents and children together, and that's cool. They do. But does anybody really reach more of an audience than the Beatles? I want you to think of people that like the Beatles today. Uh, hipster kids like the Beatles. Older folks like the Beatles. Um, heavy metal people like the Beatles. Uh, case in point, Chris Jericho, lead singer of Fozzie. Uh, Scott Ian, guitar player for Anthrax, both massive, massive Beatles fans. Um, kids that are, are, are young, very, very young, like just slightly older than my six-year-old, are Beatles fans. Beatles haven't put out any music in over 50 years yet their influence has reached all these people 50 years later. Here's the thing. You look at all four members of the Beatles, and all four members of the Beatles are not only Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, they're two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famers because all they went in as the Beatles, and all four of them have gotten in as, as solo acts. And we looked at all these arguments. Like I said, if you want to say you like the Eagles better, that's fine. I completely get that. It's up to preference. When we're comparing two bands, if you want to compare by preference, I can't tell you who to like. And if you like the Eagles better, that's great. Some days I like the Eagles better than the Beatles. It depends on what mood I'm in. But you look at all these other things we've looked at. Any other way you compare a band. Talent, Beatles. Influence. Beatles. Money made. Beatles. Number ones. Beatles. If you take preference out of it, your personal preference, there's no argument here. It's a no-brainer. And if this fool on the hill over here, Mr. Elrod, wants to tell you otherwise, it's been a hard day's night for him because across the universe – the Beatles win eight days a week, period. The Beatles were the best band in the world 50 years ago. The Beatles are the best band that have ever walked the earth now. The Beatles will be the best band that have ever lived when I'm 64. So, Bennett, I need you to please please me. Take my argument 
and let it be because I need a little help from my friend here because I need Elrod to get back because in the end, it is, was, and always will be the Beatles. Mm. <clears throat> you like Paul Stanley, right? I love Paul Stanley. I know. You're a big Paul Stanley guy. You know what he said about the Eagles? Do you really want to get into who Paul Stanley likes better? Do you, did you do your research enough to really bring this up right now? Paul Stanley. You know more said, about Paul Stanley that, between the two of us. Paul Stanley said that the Eagles, their music was the uh, songbook of America. Paul Stanley. Paul Drop Stanley. that bomb on him. He didn't expect Paul that. Paul Stanley also grew up wanting to be John Lennon. <laughs> but the songbook he had was the Eagles. <laughs> boy oh boy guys i'll say both of y'all did a really good job um I'd, probably I'd, you might have done the best job you've ever done on the show it's just an unwinnable argument really you did well yeah. you can't win but you did well yeah it's gonna shock you here in a minute when i get the victory so we'll see what he says come on do it do it bennett do it you know All you right. want to here's how I got it scored. It's very, very unscientific here, but Elrod, you got one point for a Travis Tritt yes. and one point for Clint Black. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I gave Rut one point for a Waterboy reference. That's our first Waterboy reference, I think, on the show. Oh. And one Dwight Yoakam. We need more <laughs> Dwight Yoakam. So that was a wash. I haven't put a Nirvana in there. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't expecting Waterboy <laughs> or Dwight Yoakam. I kind of, I knew that Nirvana was influenced a lot by the Beatles. So I was expecting one coming around the corner. So it didn't really just like jump up at me. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> what, 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 what a boy. All right. Now. When we talk about these two bands, there's one of them's music that I favor more than the other. If I'm going on a road trip or maybe out on a boat fishing, my headphones in, or even if I'm mowing the yard, something like that, there's one that I feel like has timeless music that I actually, I, I prefer it. And that would be the Eagles. I feel like I, I lean more Eagles, but I know I have to take my personal preference to the mm. side and look at it from a whole. <laughs> but embrace it. <laughs> but there's there's one of these two that's probably got more talent for sure, especially songwriting and I guess technical too. One of them's definitely more influential. And I don't know if we talked about it a whole, whole lot, but they were very creative in what they did. And they experimented with stuff that nobody had ever really experimented with before. And I'm not just talking about drugs. I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm about to say, you know, I was they did that too, though. They did a lot of that too. <laughs> so 
I'm going to have to say to settle this debate, even though it is, there's really good points on both sides. You can, you really could have very good points on both sides, but I'm here to tell you both guys that it's the Beatles. Mm. Mm. It's the Beatles. My Beatles. Just, just for what they mean. Not many they need. Paul McCartney is dead. Okay, he's dead. We even talked about that. He is dead. You gonna <laughs> vote for a dead guy? That's what you're doing right now. You wanted him to vote for Glenn Fry. <laughs> So, Mr. Brutt has convinced me tonight, based on what the Beatles mean to music and pop culture, Mr. Rudd, Victor Speed. You're not convinced. Hey, Elrod, don't take it bad. Take a sad song. Make it better. Remember. Let the Beatles into your heart, and you'll find. No, oh, then you'll start. I can't even do this right to make. You can't it even right. get the song right. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but you know, like I said at the beginning, I love the Eagles. Absolutely love the Eagles. We could have put in Rolling Stones. We could have been in Led Zeppelin. We could have put in the Who. All bands I love tremendously. But there's nobody you put in this spot that's going to beat the Beatles. Unless you're judging by personal preference. We could put Kiss against the Beatles, and my personal preference is Kiss. I wouldn't even begin to argue that Kiss is a better band uh, than the Beatles. But, you know, it is what it is. And we left a, a lot, a lot out of the show because we didn't want it to be uh, four days long. Uh, the Paul is dead theory. Bennett, do, were you aware of this? No, I don't think so. It, it's a big conspiracy theory. There was a documentary on Netflix several years ago uh, that was quite intriguing. Um, of course, mm. I'm a big conspiracy theory guy. Uh, they made There were some head-scratching parts of it. Ultimately, I think it's baloney, but uh, it does make you think. Uh, maybe maybe we will uh, jump into conspiracy theories and do a show, and that'll be on there. Uh, yeah, I like that idea. As much as I, I'm fascinated by, you know, like JFK assassination and stuff like that, maybe we can figure some way to get a conspiracy theory show in. Um, but I think we've rambled on long enough uh, here tonight. Guys, Friday is the deadline. Podcastawards.com. Com. On the homepage there, it says click here to nominate. You click that, put in your information. It's just your name, email address, things like that. Under the entertainment category, I think it's the Rob has a podcast entertainment category or something like that. Uh, under there, we are listed. Convince me. Click us. Go to the, I forget the exact name of it, but it's a People's Choice Award. We're listed under that as well. Click that. That's kind of the big one, the entertainer of the year or whatever. Um, Click on us for that. Go to the other categories. Pick some other podcasts you listen to. Uh, a lot of good podcasts out there, guys. Uh, but help us out. And if we get nominated, we'll do something huge for you guys. Do that by Friday. Make sure if you're watching this on Facebook, go download the podcast tomorrow. Just listen to it for a little bit. Um, if you're listening to us on the podcast, make sure to go check out our Facebook page, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. 
hit up our socials, keep up with what we're doing there. Go to Facebook right now to figure out how by nominating us, you will be in the hunt uh, for 50 bucks. It's not a lot. We're low budget, but hey, that's 50 bucks you didn't have. Uh, that's a couple tanks of gas, maybe. Uh, gentlemen, any parting words? I just got one thing I want to say. Paul is dead. He was not expecting that. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go out on a limb here and say this is probably going to be. This is going to go down as one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> there it is. We've got Forrest Gump. We've got Waterboy. We've got Travis Tritt. Clint Black. We've got a couple of decent bands we talked about tonight. Decent. And Paul's dead, apparently. We talked about that. So is John. So is Glenn. Um, but anyway. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week. Don't know what we're talking about yet. Uh, we'll figure it out. We'll make it fun. Uh, follow us. Nominate us. Come back next week. Uh, we love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace. Bye.